0: I will call upon you to do a service for me Play the godfather Now at chumpacasino.com Welcome to the family
1: VDW Group, no purchase necessary where prohibited by law See terms and conditions, 18 plus
2: You're ready for a comeback And with Purdue Global You can do more than take classes You can take charge Of your story Of your career Of your life Earn a degree you can be proud of And get an education employers respect It's time Your time Not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. This is a transformative time for black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. You know, it's just a
3: harder situation because now when you're in that life, it's like you live by the gun, you die by the gun.
0: At that point, like in Chicago, too, Chicago the tones of Chicago are more, are more aggressive. Yeah, for sure. You know what I'm saying? So sure. that would be
3: like to be there and be somebody. That's what I'm saying, man. When you think about our journey, man, the streets in Chicago are mean. <laughs> yeah, it is.
4: <laughs>
0: Curtis St Jackson.
5: And I'm Charlie Webster.
6: And this is Surviving El Chapo, the twins who brought down the drug war.
5: At just 20 years old, identical twins Pete and Jay Flores had built a drug trafficking empire in Chicago. They were shipping thousands of kilos every month to different parts of the country and raking in millions. And get this, they were only just getting started. But to be able to give you the story of who the twins really are, the real story behind the headlines, there's two important people we need to introduce you to.
0: What makes this story
6: so crazy is that the twins both end up married to daughters of cops. Talk about playing with fire.
5: Jay's wife, Val, definitely had a profile back then despite having a police officer for a father, she has a backstory that is not all that different to Jay's.
6: Even I knew a vow back in the day, but I didn't know her
0: full story.
7: I started off by being a mule. They got caught in Mexico. They dropped the gas tank and they found the drugs. They put me in front of a judge and less than 72 hours and they sentenced me to 10 years I just wanted to get out I was desperate Mexican prison is the hardest probably prison that I've ever seen the windows are have bars there's like no glass and bugs are coming in and cats are walking around and I remember there was just a ton of cats and I think that they had so many cats there because of pest control so there weren't rats prison was hard, I mean the floors were cement it's like you're in a third world country and I was just so scared, I remember the embassy coming down to see me they come out to see you if you're a U.S. citizen and they just checked on me like are you okay did anybody hurt you okay we just have to check make sure that nothing happened to you physically you have no bruises you're good we'll see you next year and I'm like wait wait like don't leave me what do you mean like you can't leave me you can't leave me here Just taking a shower, the guards will be walking by and, like, looking at you. Like, it was just so degrading. I was dating somebody at the time, and he was dealing with the cartel. They were obviously corrupt, and they said they were going to pay the judge because he was going to get me out of there. We're going to pay the judge. We're going to pay the warden, we're gonna pay everybody, you're gonna come home. I was so young, I was a baby, I was like 19 years old. He got this fake birth certificate from California. They said I was a minor, so they transferred me from the prison to Juvenile Correction Center. When I get there, It's like worse than the penitentiary. With a bunch of kids, they're like, come from the streets. We slept on cement beds, just blocks of cement with like a mat, almost like a workout mat. That's what we slept on. We ate beans with our hands, no silverware, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and we drank water from the tap, which is really contaminated. I remember we had no shoes. They didn't want you to run. I felt I'd rather go back into my 10 years than be in this place right here. I just wanted to get out, I was desperate. What I did was I kind of talked all the other kids tell them like we need to run like there's four guards here we can get away because I knew that I can outrun them even if I didn't have any shoes on and I remember them telling on me so the rest of my time it's like every time that they took me to school, they took me to church I would have to walk out with two guards holding me so my attorney comes to visit me and he's like I have good news and I have bad news And I'm like, what is it? The good news is everyone's been paid off, but the bad news is it's gonna take some time. And I told him, wait, I can't be here. I can't do this anymore. So he comes up with this plan and he sets up this legal call on the 12th. I told my attorney that he needs to call and then he needs to cough when he rolls up to the front. I'll never forget, it was December 12th, the day of the Virgin Mary. And I remember every day getting on my knees and praying to her to please, 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 let me come home till my knees bled. I cried every day. I didn't know what to do. I ended up trying to break my leg because For them to take me to make a phone call they had to take me upstairs into the warden's office and so sure enough they came to get me and i just took my ankle and i remember just slamming it against the cement badge and it was like huge and it was swollen and they had to call the doctor to see it i knew that they couldn't take me up the stairs because i couldn't walk So here comes the two guards that always walk with me everywhere I go. They take me to my phone call. And then the front door was right there. And I would just always look, it's like right there. All of a sudden my attorney starts coughing on the phone. Just all this practice, and them screaming my name in Spanish. All the guards are like, Valeria, Valeria, and I'm running. I can't even run on these rocks with a broken ankle. And I dive into this car, and we take off. starts breaking down, like, not even like four blocks away. And all of a sudden, I'm pushing the guy, pushing him, like, let me out, let me out. Like, I'm ready to take off on them. Like, I want nothing to do with these people that are picking me up. Like, I just want to get away, because I didn't want to get caught. I'm pushing the guy, trying to, like, get out the car. And all of a sudden, he turns around, takes his glasses off and his hat. and it's my attorney and I couldn't believe he did that and he broke me out they had set up these checkpoints they were checking the borders because they didn't want me to cross back to the other side so I remember I had to stay there for like a week and hide I ended up going with the family, they paid them off. And I crossed over the border, said I was a U.S. citizen. Mexico
4: was
5: not the last time Val would see the inside of a jail cell. Years later, she spent five months in a U.S. federal prison after refusing to wear a wire on her then-husband, Rudy cato Rankel.
7: my second husband, Cato. I was in love with him. There was nothing that I wouldn't do for him. I went to prison for him, again, in the U.S. The feds picked me up because he's like this huge, you know, target for the government. He's the kingpin, Latin king. He ran the city, everybody knew his name, everybody was afraid of him. He was aggressive, but at the same time he was the most charismatic person. And he had two sides to him. I would see him like turn into a monster at any given time. He ran into somebody from another gang. Like, he would jump out the car and just start shooting at people randomly. I would be in the car, and he would, like, literally take his gun and, like, over my ear, like, across me, and just start shooting at people. And my ears used to be just crazy. I never seen nothing like that. And to the point where I would be scared and it took a lot for me to get nervous or for me to be afraid. But with Cato, it felt like nobody could touch him and he had power.
5: Cato was a big deal. He ran the Latin Kings in Chicago and was known as King Cato. Cato and the twins were close. They first met through their older brother Armando, who was active in the Latin Kings.
3: I don't think there was anyone closer to Kate after Val who cared than me and my brother.
5: In fact, Kato is the very reason Jay met Val in the first place.
3: When I met her at a club. I was 15 years old. And when I saw her, I was like, wow, like, who the fuck is that? Like, and I instantly put it together because I had heard people talking about her. He looked expensive. You know, I'm at the club, I shouldn't even be at the club. It's actually 25 and over, I think. I remember that Kato and all his friends roll up. And they don't want to let him in the club. Because they know who he is, they're not going to let him. And he bangs on the window. Twins. Like, go call that girl over there, tell her to come outside. And I'm like, we're in the club. What girl are you, you know? But as I was saying, I turned and looked, I knew exactly who he was talking about. I remember I went over and I tapped her. Excuse me. And she looked like, yeah, I'm like, Kato's calling you, he's outside. He said, he wants you to go outside. And she's like, huh? I said, Kato wants you to go outside. She's like, why doesn't he come in? I'm like, they didn't let him in. She was like, how would you get in? And she looked annoyed. She decided, she walked out, and I just kind of glanced at him like, wow.
7: I really, really liked him as a person. And every time he would come around, I would just get very happy. I felt some type of connection. I don't know what that was, like some type of chemistry. But not in a bad way, just because, you know, I was married. I was married to Cato. You know, I love my husband. I'm very faithful to him. But I just loved Jay as a friend so much that I would try to, like, hook him up with, like, all the baddest girlfriends that I had.
5: Cato had a giant tattoo across his chest declaring his love for Val with the words, Destined forever, my Queen Valerie. He'd been convicted of attempted murder and was also deeply involved in the music industry. He was close with DMX, Fat Joe, Buster Rhymes, and Kanye
7: West. Kato was murdered. I was pregnant at the time. I was devastated. It was the hardest thing that I had to ever go through, especially just the relationship that I had with Kato. He was my everything. Cato was shot
5: and killed sitting in a barber's chair, getting his hair cut. In fact, he was actually in the middle of watching the 2003 NBA Finals between the San Antonio Spurs and the New Jersey Nets. His death was a contract killing ordered after he allegedly stole 150 kilos of cocaine from the Sinaloa cartel. Notorious killer and boss of the four-corner hustlers gang, Labar Broman Span was recently convicted of hiring the hitman, Squeaky Simmons, to gun Kato down. After he died, DMX released a tribute song, Ayo Kato, which featured Val.
3: When Kato passed away, she depended on me. So we were together every day, probably after that.
7: I just felt this connection with Jay. I was so in love with him, and I just didn't care. I didn't care what people said. I didn't care if people knew. I didn't care what they were going to think. When Jay would come around, like, my face would light up. And I just felt his positive energy. As much as he was there for me, I wanted to be there for him. I fell in love with him. I never loved somebody the way that I love Jay. Nobody. Our connection is so strong. And I think that he knows everything about me. My good qualities, my bad qualities, there's nothing that he doesn't know about me. He brought me back. When Kato did pass away, I felt like I could feel his shoes. And then I realized, like, no, I don't want any of this stuff. I just want to be with Jay. I just want to, you know, be his wife and have his children and just be with him. I guess there's this unspoken law that you have to wait like a year, at least, when somebody passes away to live with your light. Like and I fell in love with Jay, instantly.
5: At first, everyone thought the twins were behind Cato's death. The way their business started dominating the streets of Chicago and their growing connections to the Sinaloa cartel didn't help the rumors. But it was the way Jay and Val were inseparable in the immediate aftermath of Cato's death that really got the gossip train going.
7: When I was with Jay, we were in Chicago. And I know that Jay and Peter were having a lot of issues because me and Jay were together.
5: So it caused a lot of problems that you two got together.
7: It caused a lot of problems, just even for their business. I felt like that's it. I just wanted to live a normal life. And I just felt like Jay... I wanted to change him, and I think that every woman that falls in love with somebody, they think that they can change the person they're in love with, and they can convince them to do something differently. I knew that this life was nothing but tragedy and devastation, and that they were either going to go to prison for the rest of their life, or they're going to end up dead like Cato. And I didn't want that for them. I tried, and I tried, and I tried to convince Jay all the time, and I know that him and Peter fought over it.
3: Peter being really upset at me because I happened to fall in love with somebody he didn't approve of. Right. Because like, it affected affected so much of our lives, you know. From mm-hmm. yeah. the outside looking in, I felt like my, my my brother like you sure is that you sure you're making the right decision. Right.
0: Just it could create away. a problem. And it create saying, a problem for
3: us. Kate just passed away, bro. Like you're fish putting fish your heart right. in the wrong place.
7: Peter was wearing a bulletproof vest. It created a lot in their business, especially what they were doing. There was already so many risks that were happening. And then with this, they felt like Peter, I understand his business, what's in business, and they nurtured this thing, they grew it, they scaled it. It was something that like that was his like empire.
3: And Valve came me, with a empire. lot of
0: bags.
7: Yeah, I came with a lot of baggage. And for me to come in...
0: With like a Louis bag and a, a
2: Gucci bag. You
7: know. <laughs> for me to come in and like, you know, kind of jeopardize what they had going on was like, you didn't want that extra, you know, yeah, risk okay. and, and that, that danger, especially not in that city.
3: The relationship with my brother and Valerie made the whole city just start talking, 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 talking. I, I think that with Valerie and who she was, Came with a lot of people talking about her with that, like... Gossip. Just gossip or like intrigue or whatever the case was that would make people be in her business and... I felt like my brother and I were able to kind of be low-key for the nobodies. You know, in our own trickle in the cocaine. But to have like maybe the phone light up and every time they're talking, the twin, the twin, the twin. You know, because of my brother's with Val now, it became like an issue.
0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
4: Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell
8: you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma. Delivering trail dominating power and captivating style, the new Tacoma was born to make your off roading dreams come true.
5: Apparently, being attracted to the child of a cop was something that seemed to run in the family. One of the officers of the local gang unit had a daughter named Vivi that Pete was definitely interested in.
6: I didn't imagine that Pete and Junior were selling drugs or on the way to being who they who they became. No way. I just thought that they were just fun and and we would go out and we'd go to parties and to the lake and, and it was just being kids together. We met at 15, 15, 16 years old. So we didn't get together until we were 21, 22? 20, 21 22. Yeah. yeah, so we were friends.
3: I knew her dad before I knew her. He was in the gang unit he patrolled the neighborhood and everyone knew him. He patrolled the area, and we have had our own encounters with him, you know? Like, being part of the team that raided our home.
6: Where Peter came from, that neighborhood, my dad patrolled there. So that's where my dad would go and risk his life every day for. So, you know, being from that neighborhood, my father didn't want me affiliating with anyone.
3: When I first seen her, I thought she was like the most beautiful woman in the world.
6: I submerged myself into this big world, even in Chicago. I mean, people think that it just happened in Mexico, but in Chicago, their world was really, really big already. When I was around that, I seen that it was maybe too big for me, and I couldn't see myself living that life with him. But I definitely knew that the people that I was already choosing before him weren't good enough for me either so I think that's where my heart was like torn like okay so I have this great guy who is the perfect man for me but his life was not what I wanted and during that time I was going to school to be a court reporter I was in college I was working in the transportation business so I had my own life I lived a totally opposite life. Like he was up all night and I had to sleep at eight o'clock because my day started at five in the morning. So his life was totally different than mine. And I felt like we weren't going to be able to live that life together. It's ironic that I'm sitting here and I'm with this, the man of my dreams and He's flooding the streets of Chicago with drugs. And then my dad, I see him and he's putting on his uniform and he's risking his life every day. To something? Yeah. During that time, he would leave a rose on my car every day. So when I would go to work, I would, you know, take my little rose in my little office cubicle. Or when I was going to school, I'd take my rose with me. So, you know, I was always reminded that he was there
3: It was exciting to walk around and feel like, to think that, you know, Chicago's a big gangster, like, world, like, we talk about Al Capone in those days, in that era of Prohibition, and here we are in the era of crack cocaine and cocaine, you know? And to be at that height, you know? To be making millions of dollars a month. We were selling the drugs like that since 2000, 2001. I could probably do a life, someone else's life career in 20 years, in a month. Um, Yeah, because because we started off, like, even back in 2000, like, we're moving a 1,000 kilos a month, 800 kilos a month.
5: How much does that equate to in money?
3: We're easily making $2.5 million a month. And at the same time, we're growing into different you know, cities, like I told you, we started hitting the road to Milwaukee was one of the first places we went to, you know, to Minnesota, to Ohio. I remember, like, sending 50 keys to Columbus and thinking, I made an extra $5,000 a kilo, I made 250000 in 12 days. I could do that twice a month just with 50 kilos. Yeah, later on when we went, uh, we expanded to Washington, D.C. We could make ten thousand dollars a key from one part of the country to the other part of the country. So we sent 100 kilos, we're making a million dollars. And we were so, like, happy about it.
5: For those of us who aren't in the game, key is another word for kilo. You'll hear the twins use it a lot.
3: We were also losing a lot of money. I always used to say, well, one thing's for sure is that I lost way more than your average, your most successful drug dealer has ever made. I lost it. I had to pay it. You know, and like I say, it was a fun time to have you know apartments downtown and you know and cars and going out to the club and going out to eat. And we had a dinner. The bill came out to like $20,000, right? So, today I see but at that time I was like, I just didn't understand the way it looked from the outside in, like, you stupid punk, we're spending twenty in a dinner, you think it's okay, like, I see it now. My brother and I, we probably easily pushed over 130, 140 tons since 1998.
0: I'm not yeah, bragging about 130 tons of cocaine. Look you know, at okay. I'm the strongest. I want the part where it says I sold drugs. Delete that shit off <laughs> <laughs> of Google. I want that shit off of Google. you talking about the absolute ground level bottle. bottle, bottle, level, bottle. So they let off of this shit, for real. So all the way mm-hmm. to the top of it, that perspective.
5: business was, well let's say booming for the twins but in August of 2003 things began to unravel Pete quickly realised in the worst possible way that when you have that kind of money people start paying attention
3: I'll never forget the day because it's such a traumatic experience you know like who's built to be kidnapped no one to be sitting there, and, you know, tied up to a chair and surrounded by plastic. Like, really? That morning, I was meeting, day by day. one of our buildings where we had our bikes, our, our choppers parked. Our motorcycles. It was, it was a beautiful day. It was I a remember. beautiful day. It was sunny. We like, were nice supposed day. to uh, take a ride downtown. Once I get there, it was like, I had a call from one of one of my customers and I'm like, let me go take care of that first. You guys go ahead, I'll meet up with you later, but I'm just going to head downtown. When I first pulled around the block, I had seen a green Crown Victoria, like a cop-looking car, parked like, around the corner of the building. And that struck me as odd. So when I come around the block, around the building, I'm making my little... I see a blazer sitting like like in a corner with tents. Like I could see like it was a perfect setup in a perfect spot where you could see the building, see the rods, you know? So it struck me so weird that I actually put the car in park and I jumped off. I jumped off the car and I couldn't see it and I put my face like to the glass to see if I could see if someone was in it. But you know? then we were accustomed to like yeah. if it is, if it no. is uh, pads or something, what, what are they going to tell you? Get away from a car? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. it was empty though. So when we go back, my brother's there, I, I parked like under the train tracks. I see them leave and I'm like, okay, well, I wait a little bit, I'm on the phone. And we were supposed to actually jump on the motorcycles. Peter called me over there to jump on the motorcycles and go for a ride. At the end, he decided he had something better to do. And okay. he said, no, I'm not going. We're like, what? I'm not going. I'm like, okay, so we jumped on motorcycles. I remember I was actually there for a while and I, I kind of seen the car that he was talking about. I changed, changed into my motorcycle gear. I'm like, oh, all right then. For some reason, I just headed back like north on the on the alleyway. And right when I'm getting to the corner, I see the North car pull up with its lights blinking. They're kind of cutting me off into the alley. When I seen him do that, I'm like, damn, there's somebody watching me somewhere. Like, they really almost cut me off like before I got to the end of the alley. The minute they jumped out, they jumped out with their guns out and their badges. They jump out like with their, whatever special unit caps and bulletproof vests and their guns out. Put your hands up, put your, I'm like.
5: Oh, didn't I go inside
3: Yeah, but I put my hands up, you know. They're kind of around the car, they like, get the fuck out of the car. And I'm like, get And then, oh, where's the gun at? Where's the gun You know, and they're kind of like rushing. I remember staring at the Caucasian male. They look a little funny. <laughs> I looked at him and he has glasses on, so I'm just staring at his face. Before he would even let me, like, answer a question, he's asking me another one. He has his vest, I'm trying to see the, what logos they have on their, on their vest, you know? Because he, he not see. He where the phone? fuck's the gun? Like, where the guy? where the other guys at? And he wouldn't even let me ask one question. So right away he put, like he turned me around, like don't fucking move. He, he asked me, he puts the cuffs, he like turn around, and the other guy comes and he puts the cuffs on. And then I can see the other guy like, He walks me back to the squad car. He's putting me in the back of the squad car. I remember hearing him say, grab his bag of phones. And I felt funny, like, like I had a bag with like 25 phones. Through my mind I'm thinking like, like what's this about? Like man, is the feds finally coming? Once I'm in the back of that Cop car handcuffed. But I don't see a radio. And they pull out the alley like 40 miles an hour, like making screeching noise, like trying to get away from them. And that kind of worried me a little bit. They leave my truck sitting in the middle of the alley. It didn't feel right. I'm waiting for, like, to see other, you know, vehicles, other, you know, police presence, like for, like, what you call drug busters. There were
5: other vehicles, yeah. but there was just that one. There was like, just that
3: one, so that, that, that kind of, like, took me, like, a little bit. I was a little shocked at that, so I'm kind of looking around to see what else I see. So when they say, where are the other ones, I'm thinking, did they go, like, follow my brother, and they're trying to catch up to him, and... I remember when he asked me, "Like, what the fuck you have all these phones for?" And I was like, thinking of me, giving him a bullshit story. I'm like, "Well, what the fuck you have me in the back of the car for? If you have me in the back of the car it's for a reason, like, just ignore me." They take off and they stop like in a busy two way street. Remember, this is like two o'clock in the afternoon. It's a sunny day. You know, right in front of like the Kiss and Ride. Of the train station. So there's people like walking around and you know, going to their cars, jumping off the train and stuff. And they pull into like an empty, like abandoned like, lot. And I see a van sitting there, a white van. And it has a blue line across it, like a double blue line. Like a Chicago police van, like a paddy wagon. And I look at the driver, the driver has like a hat on, sunglasses. With like long curly hair, and I'm like, when I see the curly hair, I'm like, damn, that looks like a wig. When they like, get out the car and they, they kind of like, brushing me off the back seat, I'm still handcuffed. That moment, I just have to tell you, I felt my knees for a little weak. Just doesn't feel right, you know. I remember thinking, like, I wish I could run. Like, just instinct, I want to run. And I remember he fucking grabbed me hard, like, like where the fuck are you going, you know? And they kind of walked me, almost carried me to the police van. You know, and opened the back door. And it just didn't feel right. Pulled the gun out, and he has it towards my back, and he, he pulls me into the van he puts. A, I could feel the gun in the back in my upper back and he's like, don't fucking move, you know? And I could hear him and he grabs like a a hat, you know, like a winter hat and he puts it over my head, but he brings it down to my eyes and I could hear him like grab the tape. While he's doing it, I'm like, look, you got me. Are you the cops? Are you the real cops? I shut the fuck up. I'm like, look, man, you got me. I'm in the back line. I ain't going nowhere. Like, you got me. Just, I'm just asking you a, a question. And he was like, I ain't a fucking cop.
8: Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota,
2: let's go places. Prudential knows that no community is a monolith, and we all have unique financial needs. With black community partners across the nation, Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long and are making a tangible impact. This includes their home city of Newark, where they're actively engaged in building stronger financial foundations. They are dedicated to offering equitable financial services that cater to diverse individual requirements while recognizing our shared goal of wealth building. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Power the dreams of our communities today and future generations tomorrow. Learn more and build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints.
1: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious.
3: By this time he's already putting the tape over my or the hat and I'm covering my eyes.
5: What went through your mind when he said I ain't no fucking cop?
3: He was like, damn. He got me. This is not gonna go good.
5: Would you almost have rather it being cops?
3: Yeah, the cops are gonna take me to jail. It might slap me up a little bit, but that's what struck me as odd that the you know, Chicago police like, they don't do stuff like this. I'm not like, you know, worried about the Chicago police. I was nervous though. But my mind was just thinking, How do I make this, you know, go away as fast as possible? My brother and I had a garage in that neighborhood that we had for years. And we had a older car. We had took the air out of the tires and stuff, and disconnected the battery. And we had like we had like 300 kilos that we had been sitting for like a year and a half, two years, that were of poor quality that they never took back. Like I could get there in 10 minutes. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And I'm like, look, I got 300 kilos 10 minutes away from me. We ain't got to go far. You can have them and we ain't gotta go nowhere. And what worried me is that he didn't jump, like that's 300 kilos. And when we say these things, don't think that this is common. You know what I'm saying? Like this ain't like normal for you to have, you know, 100 kilos sitting somewhere, let alone 300. He came back and he put his knee in my back and he said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're gonna need more than that. When he told me that, I was like, who the fuck does he think he has? A lot of things went to my mind, like, this ain't going good, you know? He stood in the back of the van with me and, the passenger, which was like, he was like six four. He drove away. I remember trying to keep up with the turns, you know? Like, one thing that my brother and I did, we were on the street up and down. Like, we knew every alley, every corner, every street of the city, you know? And I'm trying to keep up to where they were going. They spun me around pretty well, though. I'm thinking I'm somewhere, like, off of First Avenue. garage and it's hot i mean it's like 95 degrees everything's just you know muggy out there and i could see the garage door was like see-through. i could see the sun coming through and they're talking there's like other people there and then he has my phone and he's like look man who do you want to call that's going to help you You want to call your brother? No, I don't want to call my brother. And I picked our associate because he had direct access to these 300 kilos, like one of our workers. And he grabs the phone and he's like, Here, call him. And I remember telling him, Look, they got me. They got me, man. I'm going to put these dudes on the phone. Do whatever they ask you for, just listen to them. He was like, Man, Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, Get out of here, stop playing. I'm serious, bro. Like I'ma put him on the phone. Just do whatever they say, bro, they got me. He was like, What? I could hear his voice just kinda change. And um Then they slowly, like, walk me, baby stabbed me all the way to like the side entrance of a home. I could see like the it's a man driveway and that, but I can't really see, so they're walking me slow. And they pull me into the side and they walk me down the stairs. Like, I could see the stairs kind of coming down. And the minute I hit that basement, I could hear a parrot. You hear? him? A parrot a bird like I hear a hear loud bird you know and i remember they kind of cut me into the right and he walked me and i could then i could feel the, like plastic under my feet it felt like you're stepping on a garbage bag you know but it was like i could see later that was clear plastic like just like a big plastic tarp and it was, it not only did it cover the floor, but it kind of covered up, like it went up. And they sit me down in the middle of, or there's a rocking chair. They sit me in the rocking chair and they tied me up to the rocking chair. Tied my chest up, tied my legs up, my arms up to the rocking chair with rope. And they do my feet with duct tape. But he put, oh, there's like a like a weird belt rope. Like, I'm I'm not sure what it was, but I could feel it around my chest. and. What was weird about the rocking chair, it made me think like these people, they did this before because every time I moved up, it would rock me. It was almost impossible to get out of the rocking chair. Every time I tried to sit up, you know, I would end up rocking back. They wouldn't say much. I just hear the stupid bird making noise and talking. You know, saying weird things. I think he was saying, fuck you, or something. I'm not sure what he was saying. He was saying something like that. The bird, the
8: parrot.
3: Yeah, the parrot, like, I could hear it. And like I could pick my eyes up, and I, I remember seeing a, like a work overalls, like construction overalls, like hanging from like a pipe. I spent like hours sitting in that chair just thinking like in silence, kind of besides the stupid bird.
5: What did it make you think when the fact that there was plastic and there was a rocking chair?
3: I mean, there was only one thing I think, that they were gonna either kill me or try to torture me into the tunnel or something. In my head, I was going through the motions. I'm like, they started torturing me, they ain't gonna let me go. I wouldn't let me go. So, just thinking what I wouldn't say, you know? And I was thinking about my brother, like, man, I hope he's okay. Whatever it was at that time when I put my friend on the phone, at the same time I wanted to create like a separation for my brother, Like the last thing I needed was for them to grab him, so.
5: Trying to protect Jay?
3: Yeah. I spent the first couple hours like that and I would hear them come in and now I could hear them whispering. I remember they ordered pizza, I'm like I wish I knew what kind of pizza they ordered. Just like I knew where I was at, you know like. Well, once it got late, I remember they come back and they take me off the rocking chair. And they walked me towards the other side where they had like a sofa and a TV set up. And I could, once they lay me down and they tied me up to a pipe with handcuffs. And the guy comes and the guy who's watching over me he's kind of like you alright man you know he's talking to me asking me questions you alright you know we don't want to hurt you man unless we have to but it's like we need you we're going to come back he tells me and he kind of pats me he's like you know you're real good at what you do but we're good at what we do I remember just thinking like, you fucking asshole. So I sleep, stuck to a pipe like that for the next two days. Like, and I could look up, and I could see this stupid, big-ass parrot. It's white, it's huge, in a big old cage. And it's talking, like, almost all night. In the morning, you know, they don't have times where it'd be quiet, then here we go again. It was just annoying me. I remember, like, the next evening, I hear a lot of movement. I hear the guy that, that first drove me, come down the stairs, rush down the stairs. He asked me, like, yo, listen, man, I'm gonna put your brother on the phone. He fucking up, he playing with your life, man. You better tell him to get serious, you know? And that's the first time he let me call my brother. I remember just telling Jay, man, just don't play with him. Do whatever you gotta do. That, nah, quick, I love you, man. I can imagine what he was going through, you know, but at that time it was just like, how's this gonna end? At least I take off and go downtown. I'm driving around downtown, it's early afternoon. I can't hear my phone. I'm not paying attention. I stop at the light and I decide to look at my phone, and I have like probably 80 missed calls. So I know there's a problem.
5: From different people. And it
3: was from different people, but the main calls were from my one of our associates, which was I consider him like he was our first worker. He was like our right-hand man for both of us, right? Like that would handle everything. So I know there's a problem. turn the motorcycle off, I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, I've been calling you. I'm like, what happened? He's like, they kidnapped your brother. I said, what? And he's nervous. He's like, they just kidnapped your brother. They called me and talking about they want me to give him 300 keys. I said, what? Like, again? And he's like, where you are you at? I said, I'm downtown. He's like, I'll meet you by Oprah. All right, I'll meet you there. I'm only, like five minutes away. I'll be there in 10. A hundred things went through my mind. I was scared for my brother. Like really scared, I was nervous for him. Like I didn't have to be there to feel what he was feeling, I think.
2: The anxiety of like, oh my God, I hope he's okay. I started calling all the workers.
3: Come meet me now. Just come meet me now. I called some of my main customers who I consider to be like really good friends. And I'm like talking to them like, they cannot, that's crazy. I was just with them. Like what happened or how? My worker gets there and he gets there with a couple guys and he runs, he's like, here's the phone, like his phone. They said they're going to call back in 30 minutes. They said they want 300 keys, they put your brother on the phone and your brother said give them whatever they asked for. Once I, I get the phone call, I still remember that day hearing the voice of saying, hey, Hello. Who is
4: this? This is his brother.
3: All perfect. So, listen, I got your brother. Don't worry. He's good. You know, he's safe for not going to mistreat him or anything as long as you cooperate. And I'm like, okay. He said, I need 300 keys. I said, hey, listen, you know who you got? Yeah, I know
0: who I got.
3: I got one of the twins. So, I said, what makes you think that I'm going to be able to give you 300 kilos? That's the way I talk to him. Like, come on, get real. And he's like, man, you have
4: it. That's for you to figure out.
6: That's next. On no Surviving no El Chapo, the twins who brought down the drug law.
5: Surviving El Chapo, The Twins Who Brought Down a Drug Lord, is hosted by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson and me, Charlie Webster. Our producers are myself alongside Jackson McLennan. Research and editorial support is from Casey Hertz. Edit and sound design by Nico Palella. Original score by Ryan Sorensen. Executive produced by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson and myself, Charlie Webster. If you'd like to know more about this story, head over to lionsgatesound.com. Curtis 50 Cent Jackson presents a Lionsgate Sound and G-Unit audio production exclusively for iHeart Podcasts.